Lord, give us ears to hear today. Come on, pray that with me. Lord, speak to my heart. Lord, speak to my heart. Change my life today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise this morning as you're seated. Thank you, Lord. Grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to continue this series this morning, the day of his glory. Before I do that, uh, I want to just have a look. And I think there's some reverb on this mic. If you want to take that off, that'd be great. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Um, in December, the, uh, there was a... Um, there was a televangelist that made some pretty bold statements, and uh, I feel like I need to come back and just give some insight and direction on what was said. There's not many people out there that are willing to correct uh, a wrong doctrine when you hear it on the on the TV, but this was this was a pretty severe statement, and uh, I just want to come back and I just want to give you some clarity from Scripture on what the Bible says about wrong doctrine. This. Um, this televangelist was reading, it was a Christmas sermon, and they were reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we're very familiar with it. It's a very popular Christmas passage, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Y'all know the verse, the government shall be upon, he's the Prince of Peace, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, that's a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about Christ. Isaiah was prophesying about the coming of Christ. And uh, the televangelist was reading from that scripture and began to teach how we are, you and I, he is the fulfillment of that verse, that we are the government, that we are the Prince of Peace, that we are, and took a, a scripture that was uh, a prophecy concerning Christ and made it applicable to himself and to you and I. And uh, that's not biblical. And so I, I want you to know that there's Jesus told us that in the last days there would come false teachers. And uh, and that's a false teaching. And I want you to be aware of that. Here's what Galatians Paul wrote to the church in uh, of Galatians and said, let, let's hear Galatians one. I'm going to read it out of the passions translate the passion translation. Uh, but uh, this is this is pretty direct. Paul said, I am shocked over how quickly you have strayed from the one who called you in the grace of Christ. I'm astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. And that's, that's, what, that's what's happening in the world around us. And, I, and that's all I, I want to just bring light. I'm not condemning anyone or judging anyone. But I just want to bring light to the situation that we're in. And the world that we live, they're not... The devil didn't come to... Uh, Adam and Eve or, and Eve and give them this whole big exorbitant lie. He twisted little pieces and that's what's happening. It's a distortion and that's how it all begins. It's little distortions of the gospel. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said, you have followed after a distorted gospel. That is a fake gospel that is simply not true. So a distorted gospel is not a true gospel, plain and simple. It may sound good, it may look good, you can dress it up, you can be an eloquent preacher, but distorted gospel is still a lie. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. And if, yeah, 
Thank you. My wife's going to shout me down this morning if nobody else will. There's only one, Paul said, there is only one gospel, and it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. Plain and simple. Now listen, I don't have a problem with televangelists. I, I, I don't have a problem. I, the gospel's going out around the airwaves. But if you're going to watch someone, if you're going to endorse someone on TV, you, you need to know their character. You need to align what they're teaching and preaching with the Word of God. And if it doesn't, turn it off. It's distorted. It is a lie. And you're going to fill your heart and your mind with a lie. So the great thing about having pastors in a local church is you know your pastor. You know the character. You know the heart. You, you know us. You know our life. You know our livelihood. Uh, you, know, you know everything about us. You don't get that with someone on TV. They, they pop on TV. They pay you know, $100,000 and they pop on TV or TBN or whatever for 30 minutes for $100,000. And that's what you get. And, and they beg you for money so that they can stay... Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> Tithe to your local church. Support your local church first. And all of that will come. And there's some great ministers. I'm not saying anything bad about... I just want you to be aware that it is happening all around us. It is happening. The, the, the fake gospel is happening all around us. We were, we were, um, we had someone one time in a meeting that wanted to charge $5,000. You could get, you could come down and for $5,000 you could get the, the prayed over prayer shawl. But you had to give $5,000 to get the, that prayer shawl. It's, that is, it's a charlatan. That's what, that, that's a Bible word. It's a good word. They're charlatans. They're fake. And you don't want to follow that. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Now that I'm getting you good and riled, I just want you to be aware. <laughs> there is, there's only one gospel, the good news of Christ, yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace to confuse you. So I, I don't want you to be confused. I want you to be well aware. But even if we are an angel from heaven... <laughs> Paul, Paul makes it really clear here. If it's, if you, if it's me, if it's, an, if it's another apostle, if it's an angel from heaven should preach a gospel different than the one we preach to you. Let them be accursed. The New King James says, the Passion says, under God's curse. Let me make it clear. <laughs> if it's not clear yet, Paul says, let me make it clear. Anyone, no matter who they are, that brings you a different gospel than the gospel that you have received, let them be condemned and cursed. That's what it says. So if it is anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is in this book, let them be cursed. So uh, I want you to be aware. I want you to be um, fully um, aware of what's happening out there. And um, I don't suspect that this will be the last time we hear uh, something out of the unusual from this particular Televangelist, unfortunately. Anyway, enough of that. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 is where we're going today. The day of his glory. Today I want to share a message with you about the prepared heart. The Lord wants to prepare your heart for his glory, for his revival. We've been talking about how we are to be people of his 
glory. We are to live saturated lives with His glory, abounding in His glory. Amen? Amen. So we've talked about how there are two key elements for revival. One is it's the sovereignty of God. It's God's timing for revival. And secondly, it's the preparation of man. There are two important elements to be uh, to step into all that God has for you. One, it's the sovereignty of God. He has a de- he has a destiny, a divine plan for your life. He has timing and, and he has ordered your steps. Tell somebody next to you he's ordered your steps. But if you don't get moving, part two, if you don't prepare yourself, if you don't start walking in the steps that God's prepared for you, you won't ever enjoy all that he's prepared. Amen. If you know a lot of a lot of people in church, well, I believe the Lord's promised me this and he's made available this and that. And we know all of the blessings and all of the things that God wants to do in our life. But you've got to get moving. You've got to step into it. He's made it accessible. He's made it available, but you've got to walk into it. Just get your, we, we have a saying, just get your oars in the water. Just get, you don't, you know, let the water, let the current of the river carry you, but you've got to get, get your oars in the water and cooperate with the current of the river. Amen? Get in. So Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. I'm going to read that again. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. I grew up uh, in, in Illinois in, in a uh, farming area, farming community. And uh, this the house that we lived in was surrounded on three sides by farms. We had, we had, we had farmland fields on three sides, and the other side was a cemetery. So, you know, it was a great, <laughs> it was a great country area, and uh, it was an old cemetery, and, and then the, and the fields. And the fields, every, uh, I have, I, th- I blame allergies today on those fields, <laughs> I gotta tell you. But every time the corn crop was harvested, they'd come out with the big combines and go through those cornfields, and it would leave, we, we had to shut all the windows, it'd leave an inch of dust on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Just leave an inch of dust, uh, field dust on everything, and just cause the allergies to just go haywire. It was just a horrible experience. But then the, the field would sit over winter, and it would get hard, and and uh, would become what the Bible calls fallow ground. And so the, the farmers would come up, if you put up that picture, they would come out with the plows, and they would begin to plow up the fallow ground. They'd go through that hard ground with the till or the plow, that had, and this field had become overrun with, with hard, it was hard, it had become overrun with the, the old crops, the dead decaying crops or weeds, and it had to be broken up so that the ground could be prepared to receive seed again. You see, fallow ground is, uh, fallow ground is ground that can produce a harvest, it can produce a crop, it has what it needs to produce, it's just become hard and needs to be broken up. So there's two things that Hosea says here about preparing ourselves for revival. Number one is to break up the fallow ground. The message says it's time to dig in with God. 
that when we break up the fallow ground, it's time to dig in. It's time to get into the deep things with God. Amen. It's time to go in deep. It's, this isn't surface level. We're not just dealing with the surface things. God wants you to dig in with Him. If you want to be a carrier of His glory, if you want to see revival shake this region, it's time to dig in with God this morning. Amen. Are you awake here today? It's time to dig in. It's time to dig in with God in your own life, your own spiritual journey. Break up the fallow ground. And number two, he, he says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. The word seek there is to diligently seek, ask, or worship. To pursue Him in prayer and persistent worship. And so when we, if we want to see the reign of righteousness... I said, if you want to see the reign of righteousness, if you want to see Him pour out the flood of heaven upon your life, then you have to break up your fallow ground and persistently seek the Lord. This is today not a message that's going to make you feel comfortable. I'm sorry if you came this morning half asleep and just want me to tickle your ears and tell you that it's going to be okay. You can sit back and relax and your spiritual journey is going to be okay. Now that is not what the Bible tells us. You have to take ownership and responsibility for your spiritual walk. If you want God to pour out His blessings on your life, that word righteousness is the righteousness and prosperity of God. If you want the righteousness and the prosperity of God to be poured out on your life, then break up the fallow ground this morning and be persistent in prayer. Fallow ground is ground, as I said, that it can be fruitful, but it's not been cultivated. It's become idle. It's become hard. Seed can get sown on it. The rain can fall. All of the thing, the sun can shine on it, but you're not going to get a crop because it's become hard and unfruitful. So let's take a look this morning at what, unf- what fallow ground is. What is fallow ground? Well, one, it's hard. It's hard hearts. You have a hard heart to the things of God. It's tightly packed. It's become full of clods, hard and brittle. Your heart has grown cold towards the things of God. It's grown indifferent towards the lost, unresponsive towards His voice. And and a hard heart, hard ground, this fallow ground of your heart means that your religion has become formal. It's all about checking the boxes and fulfilling your obligations to the Lord. There's no passion. Your emotions aren't affected any longer. If you're you're hard-hearted, your emotions, your affections are for the things of this world. You come in and, and worship is just another song or the preaching of the Word leaves you unaffected. Your heart is not stirred. You see the lost around you and your heart is not broken. That's hard heart. Your emotions, your passions are unaffected. And when you see others who are, who are worshiping and they're passionate for God, you begin to judge them. You judge, well, that, that's just too extravagant. That's just too extravagant of worship. They're, they're a little extreme. They're just a distraction. They're just showy. That's an indicator that your heart has grown cold, grown hard. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart has hardened this morning. Maybe there's the circumstances of life is causing your heart to grow hard this morning. 
They didn't sing my song this morning. They didn't do it how I wanted them to do it this morning. There's sound issues. There's light issues. There's that issue, the mic issues. And I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to worship this morning. This is not about you. Worship the Lord. Your heart has become hard with the things and the cares of this life. Break up the fallow ground. Break up the fallow ground. Hebrews 3 and 15 says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. How, what was the rebellion all about? Their hearts grew hard. God had delivered them from the Egyptians. God had delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians. They were on their way to the promised land. Provision was theirs. Blessings was theirs. All that God had promised them was theirs. But the heart grew hard because he didn't do it their way. And they all grumbled and complained against the Lord. And what happened? They all grumbled and complained. And only two of those people went into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb received their promise. The rest died in the wilderness. Are you going to be one of those who say, God, I'm going to grumble and complain. Can you really? Will you do this? Why didn't you? Why can't you? Or will you be like Joshua and Caleb and say, God, give me my mountain. God, give me my promise. You're faithful. You've called me to this region. God, you've called me to this area. God, you've spoken over this region. Revival and breakthrough. God, you've said that you're going to visit my family. God, you've said you're going to do Give me my victory. See, a hard heart will step back and judge the work of God and judge the people that He's using. A hardened heart leads to offense. It leads to bitterness. And what happens is you begin to step back and you judge the people that God's using in your life. You judge the circumstances that God's using in your life. And you don't even realize it. And before you know it, your heart is full of pride and, and full of sin and offense because of what's going on around you. And it's God at work all the time. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth this morning. It's, there, there's people that God places in your life. And He's working through them to perfect you and to do His work in and through you. And instead of being moldable and pliable, instead of being that, that clay in the potter's hand that can be molded and shaped, you've grown hard and brittle and broken and have to be thrown out for the fire. But a heart that is pliable, uh, the ground, break up the fallow ground, what Hosea is saying here, a heart that is pliable is a heart that's able to be molded and shaped by God and led by God in whatever situation you face. A hard heart steps back and says, and judges, well, that I can't believe they did that or said that or they don't have my best interests in mind or whatever the case is. And we get our eyes fixed on the people and the situation when God's working in it all the time. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? In Luke chapter 11, these are, these are like the Pharisees, the hard-hearted are like the Pharisees that we find in Luke eleven forty-two. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. 
These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The hard heart of man causes you to check all the religious boxes. They were tithing. They were tithing. They were giving. But they had neglected the love of God and the justice of God. They were doing all the right things with the wrong heart. They were doing all the right things. That's what Jesus said, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. A hardened heart will cause you to do all the, quote, right things to get the notoriety, to show up and look the part. The Pharisees looked the part. They checked the boxes. They looked good on the outside. But Jesus said their heart, their inside, was full of dead bones. They were whitewashed tombs. That's what a hard heart looks like, friend. It's, it's the uh, untouchable death of... You know, it's so funny about this. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. They had the opportunity to have resurrection life flowing through the, through the dead bones of their life. Remember Ezekiel, the prophecy where Ezekiel goes out and he looks over the valley and he sees the valley of dry bones and he prophesies in the wind and the breath and the sinews and all. Remember that prophecy? They had Jesus, the, the very resurrection, staring them in the face but could not embrace the resurrection that he offered. And Jesus said, the resurrection and life said of them, you are full of dead man's bones. That's a, that's a problem to have the resurrection and the life say of you, you are full of dead things. And not be able to have resurrection life in your life. Hard heart. That's why Hosea says to us, break up the fallow ground. In Psalm 78, 8, and they should not be like their fathers, stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. They allowed the issues of life to harden their heart. Now, if you think about what causes the field to become hard? What causes the, the clay, the dirt of the field to become hard? One, it's not, it's not cultivated. It has to be cultivated. It has to be tended to. Your heart has to continually be cultivated. <clears throat> I said your heart has to be continually cultivated. You have to be under the influence of the Word every day. You have to be under the influence of His Word that breaks the fallow ground in your heart every day. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it convicts you. Even when He challenges you. The influence of His Word is like a hammer that goes to work. It's a till on the hard ground that breaks up your hard heart. How can you tell if, if a Christian is really hard-hearted or really born again and really got it? Because the Word of God affects their heart. The preaching of the Word affects your heart. The teaching of the Word in, in small groups and, and classes affects your life. 
It changes who you are. You receive, it's, like, it's like nourishment to your soul. It changes who you are and, and affects your emotions. It affects your passions, changes your life. That's how you know whether or not you're hard-hearted. When's the last time that the Word of God has affected your heart? When's the last time you've sat in church under the preaching of the Word, moved to tears, moved to joy, moved to the, the, the emotions of God under the Word of God? Because when you are being affected by His Word, you're not hard-hearted. So the Word goes to work and plows up that fallow ground. The, the soil also becomes hard because it's not, it's not receiving water. So it's not cultivated, and it's not receiving water. It's dried out. It's crusty. You could be in an environment where the rain of heaven is pouring out, because you've become so hard and crusty, you can't receive the rain of His Spirit. You can't receive it. It just washes. Have you ever noticed that? The hard dirt, it just it creates a little valley in it. It doesn't even receive it. You can't even soak it up. But when you put yourself daily under the influence of the river of heaven. There's a river that's flowing that makes glad the city of our God. There's a river that you can drink of every day of your life that will keep you moldable and pliable and keep you from becoming hard-hearted with God. So how do you know if you're hard-hearted and not receiving the rain of heaven? Well, First off, we, we talked about the Word. And if, if the Word is not affecting you, you might be hard-hearted. The other thing that you can tell is when you're, in a, when you're in a service, when you're with others who are spiritually minded, this is a great indicator. When you're with others who are spiritually minded and they're talking about their passion for the Lord or the, the joy for, for God or their, their delight in, in going to church. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And they're, they're talking about the joy of the Lord and passion for serving God. And it annoys you. It bothers you. Or people around you in church are getting touched by God, but you're like, why are they laughing? Why are, they, why are they getting touched? Why are they having such a good time in church? Those are all great indicators. Something might be off in your heart, so have a look. Have a look. Secondly, the fallow ground is weed-covered. Fallow ground is weed-covered. You're not cultivating the soil. It becomes weed-covered. It's left to the thorns and the thistles. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 19, it says, But the cares, Jesus is describing, by the way, here, the cares of this world. He's describing the thorns and the thistles that come up. He says, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Let me read that again. That's good stuff. Jesus is talking in the parable of the sower, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So you could be a person of the word, you could have the word sown into your life, 
but because the desires and affections of this life are more passionate to you than his word, it chokes out the word. It chokes it out. Thorns and thistles choke out. No, no longer room for the word to cultivate in your life the thorns and the thistles. Let me just give you a real practical example of this. Because a lot of times we think these, you know, we see these grandiose images of what this looks like. And it's, oh, you know, it's this, the pastor who, you know, said the wrong thing and t- preached the wrong thing or whatever. The, they got their focus on worldly desires and money and they're preaching wrong things. But it could be as simple as, it, as God has spoken to you, his word, he's given you direction in your life. And instead of pursuing and doing what God said, you allow doubt or fear to come in and you don't do it. I'll say what my wife just said. It got quiet. It's, it's the simple things. It's, you know, God says, do, go make disciples. And instead of responding in the moment when he says, see that person, and he prompts your heart, instead of being obedient in the moment, you allow fear or doubt to creep in, and you keep silent. The cares of this world choke out. And there's a thorn or thistle there that's choking out the word of God. It's uncultivated ground, fallow ground. And, and God says to break up the fallow ground, to break those areas up. So when God speaks, obey. It could be in the moment where the, where the, the Lord has given you a direction in your life. He's spoken to you to do X, Y, or Z, and instead of pursuing him, you know, I see this happen in ministry all the time. Let me, let me just talk about, let me talk about me, because, you know, I know you don't want me to talk about you, so I'll, I'll talk about me. And, and I see this happen in ministry all the time, where people will say, oh, I'm called to ministry, I'm called to fivefold ministry, I'm called to, to serve the Lord and do these great things, and, and they have a word from the Lord, they have a scripture from God, and, and life happens, ministry happens, and ministry can be hard, and ministry happens, and all of a sudden, instead of keeping your eyes fixated on the one who called you into ministry, the one who's called you is faithful, you get your eyes on the cares of this world, and all of a sudden you start saying things like, well, I just want to quit, it's done, I'm over, it's over, I don't want to pursue ministry, I'm moving on, it's hard. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. All the things. <laughs> right? And so what's happened is, did God call you? Yes. Did he purpose in your heart to be in ministry? Yes. But you've gotten your eyes on the things of the world and the cares of this world have distracted you. And it chokes out the word of God. It's easy to do. It's easy for us to get our eyes on the cares of this world because we live in this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We're being continually changed and transformed and someday we'll be glorified and don't have to deal with this world. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. But in the meantime, it's very easy for us to get our eyes fixated on the things of this world because it's what we see. But you've been called, my friend, to live a life of faith. Faith causes you to see beyond this world and see into the supernatural. Faith causes you to see what God sees. If you're going to break up the fallow ground, then you've got to see the potential of what can be. 
instead of seeing the weeds and the thorns and the thistles, you've got to see the harvest that can come if you'll break up the fallow ground. You've got to see through the eyes of faith. Farmers don't go out to a plot of land and, and automatically have a, a, a field full of corn. Did you hear me? The farmers don't go out and all of a sudden the fields are full of beans and corn and, or sugar cane or wherever you're at in the country what they're you know, harvesting. They have to go out and break up the fallow ground. They have to go out and take care of the... They have to see the possibilities of the ground before it ever becomes what it is. Sometimes you have to see the possibilities of what can become through the eyes of faith. It might just be an inkling. It just might be on Sunday morning under the preaching of the Word that faith is deposited in your heart to see what could be, what could possibly become in your life if you'll break up the fallow ground. In Jeremiah chapter 4, it says, For thus says the Lord, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground. And so not among the thorns. You know, the other thing that you have to realize is you have to recognize where you're sowing. You're not going to waste your time sowing into the thorns. So one of two things has to happen. You're going to move on to the next plot of ground or you're going to break up the fallow ground. Either you're going to invest the time to break up the fallow ground or you're going to move on down the road and sow seed into ground that's been prepared. If you want God to move in your life, you have to make a commitment to break up the fallow ground or get into a place where the ground is prepared to receive the, the seed and the rain. The third characteristic of fallow ground is it's unfruitful. You can't grow fruit in hard, weed-covered ground. There's no harvest. It's unfruitful. In Galatians chapter 5, it's a familiar passage, but we're told about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you have fruit growing in your life? Or is it being choked out by the weeds? Or can, can there be no fruit in your life because your hard heart will not receive the seed? Fruit is practical holiness. So when we're talking about being fruitful, we're talking about the holiness of God manifesting in your life. The holiness of God cannot manifest in your life. There can't be fruit of the holiness of God in your life if, if your life is not being transformed by the Word of God and the washing of the Holy Ghost. It, can't, it won't happen. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It is the work of the Spirit in your life. And so when you yield to God and you begin to break up the fallow ground, fruitfulness is the result. 2 Peter 1, 5-8 gives us another great list of the fruitful things of God in our life. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brother, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from what? Being ineffective or unfruitful. 
unfruitful. So we dig in to the spiritual understanding, spiritual knowledge, the holiness of God, and it produces fruitfulness in our life. I find it interesting in Hosea that God does not say, I'll break up the fallow ground. He doesn't say, I'll be interceding for you. No. He says, you break up the fallow ground. The understanding is here is that you have to take ownership of your spiritual condition. You have to take responsibility for your spiritual life. It is your responsibility to break up the fallow ground of your heart. If you find that you are hard-hearted, if you find that your heart has grown hard and it's unfruitful, you're unaffected towards the things of God, if your passions are waning for the Lord, it's, they're depleting, then break up the fallow ground. Get in to allow the Word of God to affect you. Be in a place to allow His Word to penetrate your heart and begin like that plow I showed you earlier. Allow the plow of His Word to plow up your heart, to break up the fallow ground. We see this same level of ownership. It's demonstrated in James chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Well, I, I want to live how I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go, but then I want God to draw near to me. No, that's not how this works. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Right? He's made Himself available. He's made Himself accessible. He's screaming from the rooftops His glory. The Bible says that creation itself, creation itself declares the glory of the Lord. When you walk out these doors and you see winter, I know you want to complain about it and I know you don't like it. I know it's cold, but it's declaring something right now. It's declaring the glory of the Lord. It's declaring that new life is coming. It's declaring that there's a, there might be a season of death, but God's bringing new life. It might declare to you this morning, you might need to let some things die. You need to let the fallow ground be broken up and let some things go, right? So everywhere you go, God's crying out to get your attention. So what do you do? Instead of walking out the doors and grumbling and complaining and letting the thorns and the thistles grow up. Come on now, don't shout me down. You walk out those doors and say, thank you God, today's a day of new life. This is a reminder. I'm letting go of the past. Paul said, I'm forgetting those things that lie behind and I'm pressing on, I'm straining forward to that which lies ahead that I'm taking hold of, I'm apprehending, I'm taking hold of those things which you've taken hold of me for. You've grabbed me up by the nap of my neck and pulling me towards something and I'm responding today. I'm drawing near today. Letting go of what lies behind. That's how you draw near. You draw near in the moments. You draw near in the still moments. 
when life is going crazy and the world is spinning around you, you just take a moment to pause and say, God, I see, I see the whirlwind around me, but you're the anchor in my storm. God, I see, the, I see the hurricane blowing around me, but you're the anchor in the middle of my storm. Draw near to God. It might be as simple, you might be depressed, you might be overwhelmed with anxiety or fear, and it's hard to respond in those moments, it's hard to respond when all you feel is everything that's anti His presence. Can I just give you a very practical example of this? I, I threw out my back one time, and I don't, I don't take only once, majorly, and uh, I don't do medications well. And I, actually, I do them very poorly. <laughs> I, if there's a symptom listed on a medication, I'm going to have it. I mean, it's, I get real worried when they say death is a symptom or side of, potential side effect. <laughs> Because I usually run the checklist or whatever they are. Very sensitive. And I threw out my back. I, I mean, I couldn't move. It was right after we got married, and I, I could not move. Matter of fact, it was, the, it was the weekend the Saints went to the Super Bowl. And the reason I'll never forget that is because I was laying on the couch. We were living in New Orleans, and our, and, and our Saints had gone to the Super Bowl, and I couldn't celebrate. I couldn't do anything. I, all I could do was lay on the couch. That was it. it was, there was no moving. And uh, Heather's going crazy in the living room, and I'm just sitting, laying on my back, unable to move. But so we called, we had a doctor in our church, and, and he was our primary doctor, and happened on a Saturday. Of course, you can't, you know, it's urgent care, or you know someone, right? So I called, you know, or I didn't, Heather did, called and said, Dr. Doug, we've got a problem. <laughs> Dr. Doug's in heaven today, but... Dr. Doug, we have a problem. Zach is thrown out his back and he can't move. Can you prescribe him something so we can, he can't move, he's hurting, so he prescribed me, I think it was Vicodin. And uh, I don't, I barely take Tylenol. <laughs> so you can imagine what I look like. And so we had, we had Super Bowl Sunday, and that Sunday was uh, church anniversary service. We were graduating Bible college that Sunday. Uh, we had... Uh, all sorts of things going on that Sunday. There was multiple things in service. It was a big service in church, and I'm taking Vicodin. I showed up to church like this. <laughs> I have pictures to prove it. I was out of it. I was absolutely out of it. I chose this story because it's the comical story. I could tell you other not-so-comical stories, but I'll, I'll tell you the comical story. And I showed up to church. I was out of it. And the worship started. And I am, like, I am drugged. They're singing, singing worship song, and I am literally standing there holding on to the pew in front of me. And I thought I was in outer space. I thought I wasn't even... I'm like, what, what world am I in right now? Because I do not feel like I am present on earth right now. My body is here, but I am somewhere else. And it was not heaven. <laughs> you ever been there? Where life, you just have something going on, depression, anxiety, fear, whatever, and you're overwhelmed in the moment, and you can't even, you don't even feel like you're touching heaven. And I, I was standing there completely out of it, and I don't even know what song they were singing. 
And I, I, in my head, I had to say, self, you're going to worship. Because I didn't feel, my, my back was not hurting because I was drugged really good. But I couldn't, I, I couldn't move. I was stiff. I could barely move. And I was somewhere else. But in the moment, I had to say, self, you're going to worship. I don't feel like it. I can't move. You know, worship, usually I'm moving. I'm walking. I'm, I'm jumping. I'm doing something. I'm moving. I couldn't move. I could just stand and hold the pew. <laughs> I could move. And God help me if I tried to move. I'd probably fall over. She had to help, help me walk everywhere we went. She was holding on to my arm. We, we went up to the platform to get our diplomas. She's holding on to my arm, helping me up to the platform. I, I was a mess. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> Self, you're going to worship. And I began to worship. And you know, I, could, I felt like I was in a million places. But the Lord began to touch me. I, the tears just started. Why? Because I drew near. Even when I didn't feel like it. I just drew near in the moment. And He began to affect me. I didn't even... I didn't even feel like being affected. I didn't know I was being affected. I was just aware. There's a tear falling down my cheek. I'm worshiping the Lord, and there's a tear falling down my cheek. Something's happening right now in this moment. And it was beyond my physical body. It was beyond the limitations of my physical body. My spirit, man, was fully engaged with heaven in that moment. Worshiping the Lord. You're going to worship. Sometimes you may not feel like it. But worship anyway. You may feel absolutely disconnected. Draw near to God. And in that moment, He'll begin to break up the fallow ground of your heart. It might be as simple as saying, Lord, I know that you said you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. I don't know how many times I've prayed this prayer. I have felt absolutely nothing. I have felt no, no joy, no peace, discouragement, anxiety, fear, yes. No, none of the other. But I've said, Lord, I know you've said you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me. So right now, I just acknowledge the fact that you're here in this room and right here with me. I don't feel you. I'm not aware of you. I have, there's no outward manifestation that suggests that you're here. But I know because you are a man of your word. I know that you're here right now. Draw near. Draw near. And it might be that simple. Draw near. And I promise, I promise he'll show up. I promise the, the uncertain, that fog that you're, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but that fog that you're feeling and the uncertainty that you're feeling and maybe the detachment that you're feeling will lift and in that moment, you'll recognize God's with me. It might be just a little, little, you know, I know we don't live by feelings. We live by faith. But God gave us feelings for a reason. Right? God gave us the ability to feel Him and to know His presence for a reason. I would never, you know, I'd never marry somebody who say, well, you know, I love you, but I'm going to live on the other side of the house the rest of our marriage I'm here, but I'm going to be on the other side of the house. Right? You wouldn't marry someone like that. You better be saying, we're living in the same house. We're going to live in the same room, the same living room, the same bedroom. Right? God doesn't say, I love you, but I'm going to live on the other side of the house, and you're never going to see me or feel me. 
Come on now. So people would tell you, don't well, we live by faith. It's because they haven't come to grips yet with the fact that they're not feeling something. And so it's easier just to say, why we live, and we quote some spirit, super spiritual thing without really understanding what it means. God wants you to feel him. He wants you to feel his love. He wants you to feel his joy. These are not abstract ideas. They are realities of who God is. So draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know his joy. He wants you to know his peace. He wants you to know his presence. And can I tell you one more thing on this thought, and then I'll move on? Don't judge your encounter with the Lord based on someone else's encounter with God. Goodness. I, I've been in church at times, and I've seen... I'll confess, I've seen people rolling on the floor and laughing and getting touched. I've been in services praying for people. And I, I, I kid you not, I'll go through and I'll pray for people. And I see people getting touched by God, laughing, roll, and I feel absolutely miserable. I'm like, God, why are you touching them? I'm, your, I'm the preacher here. Why are you touching them? Shouldn't I feel something? Shouldn't something be happening to me? I feel nothing. Come on now. And I watch it happen. I'm like, Lord, you're ministering. And so I have to move out of a place of judgment and say, Lord, I'm not going to judge what you're doing in them. I need to be present with you in this moment and let you minister to me in this moment. I'm not going to allow the hard heart and the judgment and the criticism of others to steal what you have for me right now. Right? There might be times where you're going to roll on the floor and laugh. There might be other times where you're just going to sit at his feet in a, in a moment of stillness, and he's just going to speak to you in the still moment. There might be times where you have the waves of glory, and there's other times where it's going to be still, small voice. But however he chooses to show up and speak to you, draw near to God. Draw near. Draw near, and he'll keep drawing near to you. He's faithful. All right. So draw near to God. We have to break up the fallow ground. God puts the responsibility of breaking up the fallow ground on us. You know, one of the, one of the greatest things that will rob you of breaking up your fallow ground is pride. Pride is resistant to repentance. Pride is resistant to obedience. Pride exalts self, gives way to bitterness and offense. It's, pride has, there's, there's so many things of destruction that flow out of pride. And oftentimes, we can't even recognize that we're prideful. I mean, right? That's the, that's the effect of pride, is that you don't even know that you have it. So what might be an indicator this morning that you have pride? If, if you have just a little bit of an ear to hear what I say, hear this. If you're sitting there saying, I'm okay. I don't have this problem. I don't have a hard heart. Those all might be indicators of pride. Because the reality is, is that every single 
one of us, myself included, have areas of our heart and life that need to continue, continually be broken up, continually be, be uh, cultivated to be fruitful. Until you cross over into heaven, there's always going to be an area of your life that needs to be cultivated. And so if you ever find yourself at any point saying, well, I don't need to go to the altar, I'm good. Or if ever you say, I'm good, <laughs> and I don't need anything from the Lord, I'm okay. That's not, those are all statements of pride. James tells us that he gives grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The Lord will bring you into a place of abundance and prosperity, revival, his glory. He wants to do all of that, but you must humble yourself and break up the fallow ground of your heart. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. I love this. God, God talks about his omnipresence here. I love this verse. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place, and I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I love that. He's, he's recognizing his own omnipresence. I am in a high and holy place. He's talking about his heavenly throne. But I also dwell with him who is a humble heart. I've come to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite, the humble. Who does he revive? Who does he reveal himself to? The humble. So where to begin with that? Humble yourself before the Lord. Start. So it's real simple. Lord, I'm prideful. Wow, it got quiet in here. Woo, that was a great place for a shout of amen. Let's try that again. I'm going to say I'm prideful, and you're going to say amen. Let's try this. Lord, I'm prideful. Yeah. We don't like to admit that. That pride rose up right there. We just watched that displayed. For every person in the room. That was great. Thank you. That was a great sermon illustration. Thank you. We don't like to recognize that. Lord, I'm prideful. That's where we begin. Lord, I'm prideful. I humble myself before you. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. You know, David wasn't perfect. I love, I love what God says about David, that he was a man after my own heart. That's a powerful statement. When you look at David's life, David was far from perfect. He was a murderer, adulterer, all the things, right? He had the list. Yet God still used him. Yet God still, I mean, you can go through anyone in the Bible, and they all have their story. But, but David's interesting to me because God says he's a man after my own heart. And, and what's interesting to me about that is that it wasn't about David's perfection, David's righteousness, David's ability to check all the boxes or to do it all right. It was about David's heart that continually returned to the Lord. It's not an excuse to continue on and to do what you want to do when you want to do it and how you want to do it. But when, when God convicts you, you return. Pride says, I'm good, I don't need it. 
That's a hard heart. David's prayer created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I, I know that I know that I'm going to blow it again, but Lord, would you just create in me, keep working in my heart. Lord, all I know to do is to keep letting you work in my heart. I, I, I'm a mess. I know I'm going to blow it again and again, but create, keep creating, keep working in me, a clean heart and a right spirit. And one thing, don't ever take your spirit from me. Have mercy. Don't ever take your spirit from me. If you can learn to live from that place, uh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to set you free. You ready? If you can learn to live in that place, you'll walk in victory. Because what, what we tend to do is walk in the place of condemnation and guilt that says, I'm never good enough. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to accomplish it. All the things that you can't do, won't do, all the lies. But you need to start speaking the truth. The God is creating in you a clean heart and renewing a right spirit. He's changing you. He's transforming you little by little, step by step. It's not an excuse to sin, but every day he's changing you. He's transforming you. That, my friend, will help you break up the fallow ground of your heart. That will help you break up the fallow ground of your heart. Because instead of allowing the lies of the thorns and the thistles to grow in your heart, you're cultivating truth in your life. You're cultivating truth in your life. No one expects you. No one expects you to be a super Christian. No one has said, Pastor Brandon, you are now dubbed super Christian, and we expect you to live at a super Christian level, and if you don't meet the super Christian level, you are going to be excommunicated from ever being in heaven. Now, y'all laugh, but that's, how, but that's how we think. Maybe not you. Maybe it's just me. I, again, I know you don't want me to talk about you, so I'll talk about me. Maybe it's just me. I've got to achieve, right? I don't know what you said, but I've I got to achieve this. It doesn't matter. I've got to achieve this level, right? I've got to be super Christian. I've got to check all the boxes. And that is another gospel. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. That's not the gospel of Christ. That's not the gospel. His gospel is a gospel of grace. Draw near, and he will draw near to you. Break up the fallow ground and he'll rain righteousness down on you. The whole point of Hosea is that God wants to rain righteousness on you. The whole point is that he wants to pour out and 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 pour out until there's not room enough to contain and then pour out some more and pour out some more because he's a copious God. He's an overflowing God. He's an abundant God. And so that's the point of it all is that he wants you to receive all that he has for you. That's the point of it all. He's just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And he wants you to receive. But in order to receive, you have to break up the fallow ground. Hallelujah. God, that's good news. 
that he's not he's not sitting in heaven right now. Uh, they got a hard heart. Hey Gabriel, you take a note. They have hard hearts. But that's the image that we get, right? Because we've been we've been mistaught or our own perceptions and lies. But that's not God wants to pour out. He wants to pour out his mercy. Where you've been hiding in the shadows of the of the conflicts of your own life. God wants to pour out his mercy. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. His mercies for you are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Where you have felt like there's no joy in your life. You've somewhere lost the joy of your salvation. He wants to restore abundant joy in your life. He fills your mouth with laughter. But you've got to break up the fallow ground. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to take ownership for the fallow ground and say, I'm not going to live this way any longer. I'm not going to live by the lies. I'm not going to allow the cares of this world to choke out the word of God. I am taking authority over my own life. I'm taking responsibility over my own life. And I'm breaking up the fallow ground. Now, that was all the first half of that sermon. There were, remember, there were two things that Hosea said. So I'm not going to take as long on the second point, although it is equally as important. But I want to give it to you because Hosea gave us two things here, and both are equally important. And the second one is that we have to continue in prayer. We have to be people that continue in prayer. I'm not going to go long on this. I, I do promise I'm not. Uh, but Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah as an example of our response when we find things as they shouldn't be. When you find that our heart has become hardened, when you look at society and it's turned away from the Lord, when you look at culture and how anti-God it's become, when you look at your own life and, and, and the life of even the church uh, at large and, and how it is strayed from the moorings of our faith. When you see all of those things, how ought you respond in prayer? Hosea told us two things. We've got to break up the fallow ground and we have to be persistent in prayer. Nehemiah gives us a great example of this. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3 through 5, Nehemiah here says, And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What did he do? Nehemiah just got in the report. He just received the report that the walls of Jerusalem were, were broken down. They were destroyed and the gates had been burned with fire. This was significant for Nehemiah because the, the walls of Jerusalem, there was the walls of defense, the walls of protection, the walls that drew a line for the enemy that said, you cannot come any further. This is my territory. This is my, 
This is my life. You can't come any further. Those walls had been destroyed. They were open. Uh, the, the city had been become open and vulnerable to siege from their enemies. They were open and easy prey for their enemies. And, and, and Nehemiah heard about this. And he heard about how the gates had been burned down with fire. The gates in the Old Testament were where the judges and the, the rulers of the city would sit and, and rule over the city. So the gates were a place where authority was represented. And there, he was saying that the authority has been burned down. The authority no longer exists and our protection no longer exists. So if you want to be a person of persistent prayer, as Nehemiah was, for days he sat and wept and mourned and prayed and fasted to God for direction as to what was to happen with the walls of the city. If you want to be that person that intercedes on behalf of a region, if you want to be that person that prays consistently, that you have a heart that is plowed and ready to receive the word of God, then you have to, one, have a vision of the need. Uh, Nehemiah had to see what the need really was. He received the report that the walls were broken down and the gates had been burned with fire. Sometimes we don't want to receive the report that our heart has hardened. We don't like to look at society and the culture around us and see how far it's moved away from the Lord or how the church has moved away from its moorings. We don't like to look at those things. But I would challenge you, church, hear me. I would challenge you, take a long, hard look at society and culture and how far we've moved from our moorings of faith. We don't want to look at it because we'd have to acknowledge that maybe we didn't speak up when we should have. We don't want to look at it because maybe sometimes that means we need to say something instead of being quiet. But I want to challenge you to take a long, hard look at where we're at and let it drive you like Nehemiah to your knees. First, before Nehemiah did anything, he went to his prayer closet. He went to his place of prayer and he cried out to the Lord. He wept, he fasted, and he prayed. Today, we have to have a heavenly view, just like God said to the church of Laodicea. You say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Pride statements, right? Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. An awareness that comes by having a good, hard look Sometimes an uncomfortable look at what the reality is. The reality is, is that you need a miracle. The reality is that we need God to show up. And that will drive us into the place of prayer, persistent prayer. We have the promise of Psalms 126, 6, that he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come again with shouts of joy, 
bringing his sheaves with him. You go out sowing in tears. Go out into the field sowing, breaking up the fallow ground, sowing in tears. You will. Say, I will. Now, that wasn't everybody. Say, I will. will. It's a promise. I will come back with shouts of joy. I will come back with my harvest with shouts of joy. Now, why don't you stand with me? Worship team, you come on back. Now, let let me tell you this as we're wrapping up today. When you you can become a person of prayer and begin to pray and intercede. Lord, rebuild the walls. Lord, rebuild the gates. Lord, break up the fallow ground. God, move in our country again. Move in our church, Lord. Let us be people of great prayers. Let me remind you what happened to Nehemiah. For days he prayed and fasted. And who did God send to rebuild the walls? Nehemiah. Who went and rebuilt the walls? Who, who led the church? Nehemiah. When, when Jesus told his disciples, I love this, look out into the fields, they're white and ready for harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the fields. And what did Jesus tell his disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So let me just tell you, if you plan on praying it, be committed to go through with it. Because when you say, Lord, break up the fallow ground, Lord, move in my country, move in my family, guess where he's going to begin first? You. Yeah. You're going to find yourself like Isaiah, cornered in the glory. God saying, who will I send? And who will go for us? Here am I, send me, Lord. Here am I, send me, Lord. You see, when your heart is pliable and moldable, you've been touched by the glory, the outflow is being sent. When you find yourself in that place of prayer, it's what prayer really is, is putting yourself on the potter's wheel. And he begins to mold you and shape you. Your prayers, your prayers that the Lord begins to pray through you become the shaping and the molding of your life. They become the shaping and the molding of your life. And then he says, guess what? Here am I. Send me. Jesus, here we are today, Lord. Here we are today, Lord. Send us. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Lord, break up the fallow ground today. Break up the fallow ground in our hearts today. Lord, we humble ourselves. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, Break up our fallow ground. Come on, pray with me. Just ask him right where you're at. Lord, break up the fallow ground of my heart. Lord, break up the fallow ground of my heart. Let me be shape, shapeable, moldable. Change me, Lord. Where I've gotten my eyes on the thorns and the thistles, the cares of this world. Lord, readjust my focus through eyes of faith. Jesus, Jesus. We're going to, I want to 
we're going to pray for anybody. So if you, we're going we're gonna to open the altar. We're going to take time to pray for anyone who wants prayer. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you from his word today. I trust he is. I know he is speaking to you through his word. And you need to respond to the Lord today. There's things that you need to let go of, deal with. We're going to pray for you. But I also want to make sure we pray for those who need healing today. So if you need a healing or miracle, whatever it is, please make sure you come down to the altar. I believe in the Lord's going to heal folks today. But but if the altar is open to anyone who wants prayer. Maybe none of that. Maybe the Lord's just saying, maybe you just need to yield to the Lord. We're, come on. The altar is open. We're going to pray. Worship team's going to worship. Lead us in worship. Come on. We're going to lay hands on you, pray for you. God's going to do something awesome. Come on. Come on, come on.